Hey guys, this is Mindcast with your host, Kevin Seaman, where we talk about what's going on in your head. Hello, this is Kevin Seaman, your host of Mindcast. Just as what we say to others can have a major effect on them, the words we use can also have a major effect on us. So let's say you had something bad happen to you, and you use a certain phrase that embraces and utilizes the full extent of the rich and robust English language, such as, this sucks. Okay, so you get upset and you use the phrase, this sucks. Then you have another negative thing happen to you, and instead of utilizing the full palette of possible expressions in your vocabulary, you generalize your feeling by painting it with the same brush and exclaim, this sucks. More and more, you get into the habit of using that phrase as a reaction to an entire series of negative events. Over time, do you think you would begin to associate negative feelings to the phrase itself? Don't you think that the simple use of that phrase alone would begin to conjure up a whole history of off-putting experiences and feelings, and in fact, intensify your feelings about your present situation? You better believe it would. What would happen if you used another word for which you did not have a history of paired emotional linkages? A word such as distasteful, or a phrase like, well, that was less than optimal, or a word that has no association for you whatsoever, like bodacious. Can you imagine how you would feel if the next time something bad happened to you, Instead of shouting, this sucks, you said, that's distasteful, or that's bodacious. How can anyone get upset using such a word? Here's the point. Take notice of the habitual use of words. The word itself is not as important as the associated states it conjures up. Now, you might remember, as I pointed out in Mindcast number six, change your mind, change your body change your body, and you change your mind, we tend to combine our words with voice qualities and physiology to create an entire communication, even with ourselves. That's why in those three techniques of words, voice qualities, and physiology, we looked at all those elements combined. Yet there remains value in looking at the use of the words in and of themselves and how we associate feelings to them. Allow me to share with you three strategies you can use to manage your emotions through the use of words. Number one, get specific. Number two, modify. Number three, substitute and expand. Okay, number one, get specific. Our conscious minds tend to delete, distort, and generalize. Sometimes we generalize in order to function in an everyday society. We generalize that doors open a certain way, and that allows us to get in and out of places. We generalize that floors will support us when we walk across them, and that prevents us from testing the stability of them with each and every footstep. We generalize that hot water comes out of the left faucet and cold out of the right, and because of that, we're able to get the temperature of the water that we desire. Sometimes, however, these generalizations can get in the way. 
They can skewer our clarity and our judgment and influence our beliefs. For example, if we use a phrase like, all big dogs are vicious, that can lead to prejudices and stereotypes. Generalizations can also intensify emotions because they make us focus on only the portion of our experiences, instead of the inclusion of all of our references pertaining to our belief. We looked at this briefly in Mindcast number two on what you believe becomes your reality. For example, if an individual said to you, nobody can help me with this, the use of that language would intensify a feeling of despair, frustration, and hopelessness. In another aspect, the use of the word everybody in the phrase, everybody is in shape at the gym except for me, does the same thing. Become particularly sensitized to the generalizations such as these and question to check for accuracy, much like questioning a reference for a certain belief. Ask yourself questions like, all, all, who specifically, every, every in what situations, or never, never, were there any times that you did get it right? The technique of specificity does two things. First, it helps you change from a generality to a specific. That alone tends to reduce the emotional content associated with the situations. Second, it helps you focus on the situation in a different way. By helping to change focus, you help to alter your emotion. Okay, technique number two, modify. Modifiers are useful in increasing or decreasing the intensity of an emotion. Sort of like turning up the volume or decreasing the volume of a stereo. By utilizing these suggestions, you can help to slightly shift your feelings around a specific situation by using your words differently. There are two types of modifiers. Modifiers that decrease intensity and modifiers that increase intensity. Here's some examples to illustrate my point. I was a bit disappointed. I was extremely devastated. I was slightly better. I was remarkably better. It was a little hot. It was unbelievably unbearable. He seemed quite upset. He was totally livid. I had somewhat of a setback. I was totally crushed. Modifiers are used frequently by police negotiators to de-escalate a situation by using buffers as a means to calm an individual who might be distraught or in panic. It might go something like this. Sir, I know you're a little upset. Let's sit down and talk about this so we can understand what you're going through right now. As opposed to, sir, sir, you need to calm down. Even the tone and the voice qualities in the first example creates more of a calming effect as I want to understand what you're going through. Okay, on to our third technique, substitute and expand. A quick and easy way to shift an emotion is to substitute overused words with an expanded vocabulary, words for which you most likely don't have much of an emotional attachment, or at least not a disempowering emotional attachment. Here are some examples of disempowering words or phrases. I'm beat. I'm so whipped. I'm really wiped out. I'm totally exhausted. I'm so pissed. Here are some substituted or expanded words or phrases. I'm a little rest deprived. I'm working on it. 
I'm not breaking any records today. I'm making progress. I'm a little peeved at you. I'm excited. Let's look at phrases and thoughts we use in our work time, for example. You can always tell when someone hates their job by the way they view the time left on the job. Do you have four more hours before you get to leave? Or is your perspective, I only have four more hours left to finish this. Do you have to do this? Or do you have the opportunity to do this? How about phrases we use in competition? Have you ever amplified the meaning of an event with a phrase like, I got crushed, they killed us, or they trashed us? How about we were beaten? Now, what do you think these statements imply? What sort of images do they conjure up? What if those statements were replaced with deamplified versions? A more realistic description like, I didn't play to my potential, and we've got some things to work on. These statements portray a different image and a different emotion, don't they? When we use empowering, solution-oriented statements, they help us to see how we can improve our outcome. Negative amplification of events have an opposite effect because they're problem-focused rather than solution-oriented by nature. They have a tendency to make things seem worse than they really are and make it difficult to move to a solution. It's a little hard to recover and shake it off when you've been crushed, killed, trashed, or beaten. It's also very hard to ask yourself, what did I learn from this while licking your emotional wounds when you subjected yourself to these very colorful terms? How to use empowering substitutes for the negative words we use. Pay attention to the metaphors and analogies you use to describe events for one week. Pay particular attention to the figures of speech that you use. The reason is that while some of these are empowering, others can be quite debilitating. Did you get yelled at or was there a difference of opinion? Did you get dumped on or confided in? Was it the worst day or challenging? Are you at the end of your rope or are you reorganizing your approach? Are you hanging in there? Not too bad. I'm surviving. Or feeling awesome, great, terrific. You get the picture. Here's a valuable exercise. For one week, deamplify the terms that exaggerate the meaning of your negative experiences and amplify the areas that need a boost. Oh, also, remember that these are not just the negative words or phrases you say audibly but the ones you say to yourself using your inner dialogue as well. No one can make you feel inferior without your consent. Eleanor Roosevelt. In his book, Aspire, Kevin Hall tells of a story about how he learned about a special word, a gift. The word was genshai. The word is taught in the Indian culture as a guideline for living. It means to never look down on anyone, to never look at, touch, or address any person in any way that would make them feel small or inadequate, including yourself. This one word taught me more about how I would like to treat myself and others. Your outer world is a direct reflection of your inner world. Everything counts. In life, we don't experience reality, we experience our representation of reality. 
It is how we represent our experiences that determine our outlook on those experiences. Ultimately, it is your outlook that creates your mindset. Here's something I find absolutely remarkable. When I ask successful people what they think about, they tell me that they think about their goals, what they want to accomplish and do. When I ask unhappy, unsuccessful people what they think about, they tell me they think about their problems and the bad things in their life. We are more influenced by communication than anything else. Your self-talk can have more to do with how you feel and how you perform than any other factor. So tell yourself what you want, not what you don't want. I mean, you already tell yourself what you think you feel. I feel really tired. I am so angry right now, right? You know you do. So you want to feel great? Tell yourself, I feel great. I feel terrific. Repeat it with emotion, either internally or aloud, and you will begin to feel a difference. I use this when I'm feeling meh. I use this strategy all the time. If I want to relax, I tell myself, I am so relaxed. I feel really calm right now. When I want to be completely tuned in and focused, I tell myself, I feel razor sharp. I am so tuned in. I am totally focused. Try it. I think you'll be shocked. I'm always blown away when I find a word or a phrase that is indicative of or attached to a change of mindset or life direction. The Japanese have a word that encompasses many ideas and actually is in itself a way of approaching life and business. The word is kaizen. Kaizen means continuous improvement or change for the better. The overall goal of kaizen is to make small changes over a period of time, to create improvements within a person or in business within a company. It means small alterations towards betterment have huge impacts on the future. The word itself embodies integrity, consistency, and character. This one word dictates what somebody who abides by the philosophy will or will not do in relation to improving the good of the whole. Kaizen is, in itself, a lifestyle of quality, efficiency, personal discipline, and standard procedure. This one word is a philosophy followed by millions. On my wall in my gym, I used to have a sign that read, Can I? C-A-N-I. An acronym for constant and never-ending improvement. Over the years, I have made that my philosophy for my life. And I strive to a commitment of constant and never-ending improvement each and every day. Want to improve yourself exponentially? Live your life by the word, can I? Your self-talk and personal expression affects you in ways you cannot begin to realize. In my book, The Mind Game of Competition, I talk about an instance when I was coaching college basketball players, helping them to use mental performance techniques to improve their game performance. And I made some interesting observations. I watched a team shoot free throws for about an hour. When some of the players missed, they would give themselves negative reinforcement. It would be an under-the-breath 
expletive, a frown, a facial distortion, looking down, shaking their head, no, or something else negative. The next shot, they usually missed as well. But when some of the other players missed, they processed it in a completely different light. These players would deepen their gaze, focus their concentration, give themselves reassuring commands, separate themselves from the previous miss, and some would even smile. The profound thing was these players would hit the next free throw almost every time. They focused on what they wanted to have happen rather than on what had happened. They didn't beat themselves up. Instead, they reorganized their approach. Much of this was internal, and although I couldn't hear what they said to themselves or see what they saw in their mind's eye, I could see some external adjustments, and they were always positive in nature. Remember what I've stated previously, the only three things you have control of are, number one, the words and phrases you use, and how you communicate internally with yourself. Number two, the pictures and visualizations you see in your head. And number three, how you respond or your actions. Trash talk and other distractions. In today's world of competition, trash talk has become an ordinary occurrence. In the form of a boast or insult slung at a competitor, trash talk has but one purpose. It is used to get a reaction. Trash talkers do this for only one reason, to get you to shift your focus. It's all smoke and mirrors. The question I have for you is, what reaction do you want to have? Do you want to fall into the manipulation that the hater has spewed at you? or maintain your focus on what you really want. Today, trash talk in sports is found from professional level all the way down to youth sports. It has become so pervasive that it has been written into rule books in many sports. But it goes deeper than that. Now it has become prevalent in our culture. It's common to see, and sometimes even experience on social media. It happens in politics regularly. It can be friendly and joking, and it can be assaultive, demeaning, and harmful. It is one of the most profound forms of bullying. Here's what I think. Don't take criticism from someone you would never take advice from. One of my favorite coaches gave me a great reframe when I was struggling with some things that one of my competitors was saying about me. He said, They only tackle the man with the ball, Kevin. If you weren't important, they wouldn't say anything about you. They wouldn't focus on you. They wouldn't waste their energy. Use that energy. People who trash talk also believe that it gets them attention. And you know what? It does. Negative attention. In my opinion, it is unnecessary in most cases and can give you a bad reputation. You may remember people that trash talk and are disrespectful. But isn't that how you remember them first and not as an awesomely talented competitive athlete or person? It seems like these days everyone wants to be edgy, extreme, be radical, or the tough guy. Because it's so prevalent, this attitude makes you the status quo. If everyone is that way, you don't stand out. 
Acting tough is in itself a mask or a smokescreen. To be noticed, to make it big, you need to be different and unique, not the same as everyone else. Besides, some of the toughest people I know are friendly, compassionate, loving human beings. Remember in my previous Mindcast, I referred to two types of base emotions, love and fear? Well, guess what? Trash talk, verbal bullying, and being condescending to someone is most definitely not coming from a place of love. That type of behavior directed at someone is an expression of fear-based emotion. I remember when I was younger, I had a boxing match where this guy was trying to stare me down. It started the moment he saw I was his match. As he stared across the room, I smiled and waved. That really got him hot. Then as the referee was going over the speech, listen to me at all times, etc., he was trying to glare me down. And I continued to smile and lift my chin, nodding my head and acknowledging him. This was getting him even angrier and more visibly hostile. And I started to notice that because I wasn't reacting the way he wanted me to, I was really getting in his head. That's when people make mistakes. My approach when competitors try to trash talk my athletes is just smile, see it for what it is, and focus on your game, not on the smokescreen. In their book, The Four Agreements, authors Don Miguel Ruiz and Janet Mills write, Be impeccable with your word. Speak with integrity. Say only what you mean. Avoid using words to speak against yourself or to gossip about others. Use the power of your words in the direction of truth and love. Thank you so much. I am so grateful that you've taken time out of your day to join me in this episode of Mindcast. Mindcast is now in 23 countries with a thousand listeners. Be sure to try some of these strategies I present in these coaching episodes. I am available for personal coaching or speaking engagements for your group or company. If you want to contact me or just say hello, you can contact me at kevin at thewinningmindset.com. If you want a great in-depth book filled with strategies, check out The Winning Mindset with me and my co-author, Jim Bro. You can find it on Amazon. Remember, our words have power over us. What you say is what you get. Until next time, this is Kevin Seaman, and this is Mindcast.